This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into episode number 24 of From the Braves Booth. Alongside Joe Simpson and our producer engineer, Jonathan Chadwick. Ben Ingram here with you. Can you believe we've made it 24 episodes? No, that's two dozen. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I thought they'd run us out of here by yeah, now. Yeah, after, after about seven, I figured they'd, <laughs> they'd give us one more and that'd be it. Yeah. Just kind of let us down easy. Yes. I guess they're not paying attention. No. (laughs) (laughs) Must be what it is. (laughs) This is from the Braves booth. This is our little podcast, and we're sitting in the booth here at home at Truist Park. It's good to be home, and the Braves here for a pretty good while. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us, bravesbooth at gmail.com. And uh, we got a bunch of questions we'll get to a little bit later in our show today, as we always do. But uh, going back to that thought, good to be home. Braves here for eight ball games. Got off to a tough start last night. Bunch of walks. Very ugly uh, inning there against the Brewers last night in game one. But we'll see a really good pitching matchup tonight. Joe, can't wait for tonight. Yeah, last night, real quick, it, was just, it wasn't just walks. It was a couple of errors, too, that were uh, unusual for both the Braves and the Brewers and the number of errors they made. Uh, but uh, – the walks late in the ball game were the ones that were very costly. Tonight, Max Fried goes against Corbin Burns. That's a matchup you you'll take any uh, Saturday, any Monday yeah. or Friday or any time because it's going to be a good one. I expect a low scoring game. Yeah, if we get to the end of the year and those two guys are top five in the Cy Young, I won't be shocked. I don't no. think anybody will. No, and Burns is. Uh, back to being the guy he was last year, too. Uh-huh. And, and he won the award last year, so should be a good one. And then the Braves have the Red Sox come in, and then the Padres come in. So some good teams. No, the the, uh, the Red Sox are struggling, but the Red Sox are the Red Sox. They're always going to be tough. And then we saw San Diego, and I'd say they're here in the first month of the season. That's one of the best teams we've seen. Of the teams we've seen, I'd put them right in there tied with the Mets yeah. for second. Uh, the Dodgers were the best team we've seen. Uh, but I'd put them right in there with uh, with the Mets, uh, obviously top five. I agree with you. I, I think from what I've seen, and we've only seen the Brewers one game, but the Dodgers look like the, the best team I've seen. Padres and Mets very close. This Brewer team pretty close as well. Well, by the time this series is over, I, I may have to uh, recalculate the yeah. standings there because this is an outstanding Milwaukee team. Their offense is um, really kind of scary and – uh, and it's scary because Christian Yelich is back. You know, they gave him a ton of money once they acquired him from Miami. And outside, it's hard to say, outside an MVP year, it, it, you don't disregard dis- that. But he hadn't done much since because he's been hurt. And he looks healthy, good bat speed, swinging hard. And having him in the middle of their lineup is uh, a huge boost. Yeah, he's the guy. And you and I were talk- <clears throat> talking about the Mets where they have a, a really good team. But I don't know that we could pinpoint one guy and say, that's the guy for the Mets. Yelich yeah. is that guy for the Brewers. Yeah. Good supporting cast, but but he's he's the guy for them. Very good supporting cast. And they have some guys right now that have come to town hot. You know, Adamas is hot. Rowdy Telez is hot. Uh, so it's not just Yelich, but ultimately it everything will revolve around him, in my opinion. Uh, for the Braves, you could say that Ronald Acuna might be that guy, and he had a 450-foot home run and then fell on his back last night. That was hilarious. 
Uh, but it's good to see him in there. And something comes to mind that you said last night. He had a play in right field last night where he was tracking over by the line, uh, tried to make a basket catch, didn't get there. And you said, give him another few weeks, that catch is made. Yeah. So that gives you an idea. He's still extremely talented. He's so good, but he's still uh, finding his way back to Ronald Acuna speed, isn't he? There's one thing that um, I find interesting, and maybe it is injury-related, and that is if he's got to bend over and extend himself to reach his glove down to get a ball like he did on that basket catch or even a couple of hard-hit ground balls, it seems to be a little difficult for him. Maybe he doesn't trust putting all his weight on his right leg Uh uh, just yet and that his quad will hold, his knee will hold, so that he can really get down there low. It bears watching. Those are the only things I've seen since he's come back um, that would indicate he had had an injury. What's the worst injury you had? Uh, Ankle. I, I was only on the disabled list one time, uh, fortunately, and I did a Mickey Mantle thing in spring training uh, when I was in AAA with the Dodgers. Uh, my spikes locked on a sprinkler head, mm. and, and I was about to make a throw home from the outfield, and everything turned except my ankle. Oh, my, my foot was locked on that sprinkler head, so I really messed it up. Uh, but I wasn't on the DL that long, uh, able to come back. It's not something that uh, bothers me now. But uh, that was the worst injury, and I was fortunate it wasn't any worse. Well, I know this is completely apples to oranges at best, that injury versus what Acuna had. But how long did it take you to trust that ankle once you came back? Oh, a while, yeah. And I relied on my wheels a lot. Uh And um, I always had it taped up, you know, and secured. I didn't have to wear a brace or anything like that in those days. But it took a while. It took a good month uh, to get past that and mentally know that I was okay. And just day by day, I'm sure he's going to get closer and closer. Yeah. Well, the more he has these plays that I'm talking about, um, the more he's going to realize, oh, I'm okay. I can, go, I can get down. I can get low. Uh-huh. I'm okay. My legs are good. And um, and then he'll be fine. Yeah. Well, speaking of guys that you want to be fine, Tyler Magic is, is towards the top of that list. I know as soon as we finish this up, I've got the Brian Snitker report, and, and one of the questions I'm going to ask him is about Tyler. I, I would imagine that health-wise, he's he's fine, but he's been walking a lot more guys we're used to seeing, and maybe this is premature on my behalf, but I wonder if he's struggling with, with some of the mental issues again like he was a few years ago. And uh, I think six of the last seven batters he's faced, he's either walked or hit, and we're just not used to seeing that kind of wildness out of Tyler. We haven't seen that in the last two years. Uh, he's made this beautiful comeback from – uh, having some problems with command that were related to confidence and, and mental approach and that sort of thing. Uh, I hope that none, none of that has creeped back in because he's been so successful and what he's done has been working. So don't change anything, but uh, he looks extremely frustrated right now. I hope he's okay mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to worry about his mental right now as much as I hope physically he's okay uh, because ball's not anywhere near where it was last year or uh, any time prior to that last two seasons ago. His location's been really off. Yeah, and, and you look at last night, and the one inning that's the difference maker for Milwaukee is that one sixth inning where they said nine of the plate. They had one hit. Yeah. There's a bunch of walks. Yeah, and that hit was an infield hit. Uh-huh. And it just drive you crazy. And, 
you know, you, you play a team like that, you have one, you give up one inning like that, you're toast against a good team like that. Well, their bullpen's too good to, to give up the lead. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, we got to see a couple of homers last night. Mentioned the Acuna homer. Dansby's home run was really encouraging going to right field. And, and I want to go back to something you said last night that we said a thousand times. Him going that way helps him so much. And usually when he does that, he starts to get hot. And maybe he's the guy to watch now. You know, uh, I haven't talked to Dansby about this, and I should um, if he's willing to talk about it. But you know, he's going to be a free agent Yeah. at the end of this season. Uh, last year, there were some shortstops who got tremendous money, tremendous contracts. And if you're a shortstop on the verge of free agency, you can't help but notice that. Um, whether it's Seager or Correa or Trevor Story, whomever, those guys are hitting a lot of home runs. Yeah. And they play shortstop. That's a great asset. And if somehow that has crept into Dansby's thinking, uh, that's too bad because he's a good player in his own way. Uh, he plays a great brand of shortstop, and he hits the ball with authority. But he doesn't need to hit 30 homers. You know, this team doesn't – if he did, that was great, but not at the expense of him striking out 220 times. Right, and that seems to be the issue, not just for Dansby, for the whole team right now. A lot of strikeouts for this bunch. Too many. Yeah. Yeah, too many. Uh, a lot of chase. You know, that's a new word – not new, but one that's really emphasized among analytics, and that is chase. Who? How much do these hitters chase? And the Braves chase – a lot especially on sliders yeah and it makes you start to think okay you, you need maybe a little bit more balance a few more lefties in there even just one would go a long way I mean I think about Ed Rosario's role and how good he was towards the end of last season if you had that guy back in this lineup right now I think that would help a lot of that no question it would help a lot um there's a lot of talk too and speculation about Michael Harris at double a who's a left-handed hitter uh, could help solve some of that, but uh, it may be a little premature to be thinking about him in the big leagues just yet. Uh, do you go out and get someone else until Rosario comes back? I guess that's an option too. Um, a third option would be Drew Waters. He's a switch hitter right? and off to a good start at AAA. But, um, you know, Drew's been hurt a lot. And I, I, I hate to say, you know, you've got to keep your eye on him, make sure he's healthy. But uh, we talked about this in spring training. I I was disappointed for Drew that he got off to a good start, hit a home run in the first game of spring training, play the second game, had a walk, stolen base, scored a run. He was off to the races, boy, to make this ball club. And then the next game, you know, he's he's in there. He was in the lineup. Right. Got scratched uh, for a hamstring that was bothering him. And we hadn't seen him. Yeah, we haven't seen him since until he just came back recently. So – it's kind of like, um, I don't know if he's jinxed that way in spring training. It's the second year in a row that he's had uh, an injury in spring training that really waylaid him. But uh, I want to see Drew play a month and make sure he's okay. Well, here's the thing. If he were healthy and rolling, he'd be, in my opinion, the, the right answer for your issues. Because think about how t- challenging this is with the time of the year it is. You're, maybe you're looking to make a, a deal. It's June or July, sure. But in the first week of May, teams aren't going to be quite as willing to trade right now, I don't think, for what you're looking for. Teams, unless you're the Reds, feel like they're in it. Yeah. Uh, and, and then as far as Michael Harris goes, very excited about his future, very excited about his talent, what he could be. But you could argue that it might be rushing him to bring him up right now. And I think it would be, in my opinion, that uh, he needs to get a 
full season in double A AA and triple A baseball under his belt. And then um, let's let's see about next year or yeah. the end of this season. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you just hope that you have somebody who's, who's ready to step in there. And, and Michael, or, or rather Drew, would be the guy. In, in terms of how old he is, his experience, where he is in, in the minor leagues, he would make the most sense if he were ready to go in there and had a, a, had a full season worth of reps uh, to this point, full month or so. Um, in, in the meantime, you just kind of figure this thing out and hope that you can get – rosario back quicker and well uh, yeah you you can wish and hope but the fact is um as you mentioned got two more games with these brewers then the red Sox. you, you may run into nathan evaldi right or a uh, hauk uh, for boston even though they have been struggling the team's been struggling those two guys are very capable of uh shutting you down um and then who is it after that the san, the san diego padres come to town and we've already seen their staff so uh, it's not going to get any easier anytime soon. So I'm sure Alex Anthopoulos and his staff are out kind of looking around a little bit, see what they can do to improve the ball club. They always are. It's a challenging time of the season because you, you just saw uh, the Mets. Now you get the Brewers, Red Sox, Padres, and then the Brewers again. As soon as this this homestand ends, we go right to Milwaukee and see yeah. these guys for three up there before we go to Miami. And they're never easy in that ballpark <laughs> with that pitching. No. So, yeah, it's it's big leagues, man. You don't get too many breathers. It is the big leagues. It is The arms are incredible these days in the big leagues. Uh, people sometimes talk about expansion. Well, don't expand. There's not enough pitching to go around. I'm not sure about that anymore. Yeah. Everybody seems to be well-stocked with good arms because we keep seeing them. Yeah, we sure do. Um for this bunch tonight, I think you go into it and say like, it'd be nice to win tonight. I don't want to. You don't want to have to salvage the finale versus the Brewers to avoid a sweep. Um, great crowds to this point of the season. We expect continue to expect really good crowds, and we've seen some good weather as well. But this team is in the same place they're in this time last year. Pretty sure the exact same record through 28 games is where they were last year. And while all is well that ends well, you can't go into where you are right now and expect the exact same blueprint to play out again like it did in 2021. I was looking at the standings today, Ben, and it almost mirrors last year. Really? With one exception. There's one team that's playing their tails off, and that's the Mets. Yeah. Nobody last year ran off and left the Braves. We kept saying, I'm sure glad the Nationals aren't playing well. I'm sure glad the Phillies haven't done this because they have an opportunity to run off and leave everybody. Well, the Mets are doing that. And it's not one of those things where you can say, well, let's uh, look at the all-star break and hope that we're close. Well, sure, you want to be close, but you better have your eye on those guys in New York because they're good. Yeah, they sure are. And, yes, you do have expanded playoffs this year, but I don't want to be June the 10th and thinking, okay, it's time to pivot towards one of those wild card spots because the Mets are going to win this thing. No, you want to win the division again. Exactly. You have three division winners. And then you have three wild card teams from each league, so it expands a little bit. But I, you know, it, it's nice to have that parachute. But I don't want to think about that parachute until it's September. Think about who we just talked about already. Yeah, you know, Milwaukee's in first place, but there are some other teams. Um, whether it be uh, San Diego, it might be Colorado, the Giants out west. There are a lot of good ball clubs uh, that could be the third, the second, and third wild right. card, and not give you room to get in there yeah start playing better win some games get back to 500 climb over and try to go on a good 10-day run 
it, it was it was good to take that final game in New York and and gain a split there. I think that helped a lot. I think that'll instill some confidence. Not that they were lacking for any, but just knowing that the Mets playing as well as they have, you went into their house and still split with them. And I think that goes a long way. But now you got to keep that same intensity and that that same ability to go win big games against everybody else. Well, and consider this: after the Braves split with New York, they went in and got seven runs in the ninth inning against the Phillies and beat them the other yeah. night. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Come well, on. We, we talked about this last night, Joe. What that can do to the Phillies? What about what it can do to the Mets? I know. They win a game like that, they're thinking we, we can do anything. Well, it's not just up to the Braves to knock the Mets off in the division, right? You, you other guys got to help out a little bit too, you know. Right. And uh, for the Phillies to do that, that was hugely demoralizing for them it sure was and the rest of us yeah well and two because the Phillies are thinking maybe this is the year we we finally had a winning record last year the bullpen has been our Achilles heel and here they are the first month into the season and the same issue again right big leads late right um uh scattering reports I get from people who have played the Phillies say they are kind of going through the motions a little lethargic there's no uh tremendous energy or anything and um, that's sad because they're, they are a great team. Yeah. I think I think on paper they're a very good team. Yeah, sure are. Sure are. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, speaking of on paper, i got a three pages worth of questions and comments here from listeners. So and somebody must be listening. Yeah, unless, unless maybe these are the same people every single week. Well, it could be, but that's okay, too. We <laughs> welcome that. Sure do. I know Jay Chad's going to join us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, bravesbooth at gmail.com. That's how you can send us a question. And if you're listening to this episode and you want to fire off a question, you don't want to wait till next week or whatever, do it. Send it in. Jay Chad gets the inbox, and uh, he goes through all these things and prints them out. And if they get past JC, they make the cut, and they usually make the errors. So good. fire away with uh, any questions you might have. I'll go ahead and start us off. Uh, this is more of a comment. This is from Dennis in Greer, South Carolina. He says, Ben and Joe, just a brief email to express my appreciation and gratitude for the excellence the two of you consistently provide in describing the action in, in Braves games. This is my favorite part of this email. I will soon be 80 years old and have lost most of my vision, so I value the words and pictures that you paint with your narratives. You both are exceptional broadcast professionals. Thank you. Go Braves. And that means so much to me. I know it does to you, Joe, to, to hear from people uh, no matter what your situation is is but uh, i've always wanted to broadcast for folks who are visually impaired and, and do my best to put them in the ballpark when i was calling minor league games we had uh, a visually impaired fan that listened all the time and, and he gave me some pointers at one point in my career when i was young and i've always taken that with me and knowing that people who are listening to us on the radio whether they're visually impaired or they're not they still aren't in the ballpark and they don't see what we see and so if we can get a a thumbs up and and a great job by people like that that means a lot to me that's very much appreciated dennis um and i know too ben um it it may have been the person you were talking about in the minor leagues but i know there was one person that appreciated uh one of the routines you have at the start of a game is to describe the uniforms Mm -hmm. and everybody uh what they're wearing that day 
And I think that's a great thing. I never heard anybody really use that uh, habitually in their broadcast, and I think it's a great thing, and I think it's terrific for people who can't see the field. Yeah, we get a chance to put people right here in the ballpark with us, and that's how we want them to feel everything tonight. JC, by the way, how you feeling? I'm good. Good, man. You look yeah, good today. Thank you. Got some rust. He's got his Did brave you? sweatshirt on. He's looking really good. Yeah. My he, arms are still a little sore. From hanging? Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I thought you got a bum rap on that deal, uh, both from the – I mean, we were teasing you, but the TV guys kind of went overboard, and uh, there's going to be hell to pay for them. You can guarantee that from the from the radio side. But I thought you did a good job considering that seven train was rocking and rolling when sure you were. It was rocking, yeah. you know. And Jeff got on it, and it might as well have been sitting still. Oh, it was like we were going across the salt flats. It was so flat and easy. Yeah. Well, to bring people up to date, you guys had a contest on the seven train leaving City Field see who could hold on to the railing that runs along the top of the uh, subway cart the longest and you hung up there for about 30 seconds around 30 seconds jeff hung for a minute a minute but to exactly what joe's saying the path that you were hanging was significantly just up and down wavier swaying all over the place he looked like a hanger with no shirt on it you know (laughs) just going back and forth yeah (laughs) thing was banging but you know what i mean and it was it was it was difficult uh, but I certainly had a tougher road than Jeff. Yeah. But but that's fine. Yeah. You know, we'll see what happens in August. Challenge him again in yeah, August. It's coming. All right. What do you got? You got a question for us? I got one uh, from Barry Howell in Madison, Mississippi. Is that anywhere near your? That's my hometown. Okay. Yep. Barry Howell wants to know what was your take on Ozzy getting all over Ozuna about his base running while on the field at Texas? I thought it was great. Um, I I knew that there was a part of it where Ozzy was being truthful, yeah. but he was joking about it to yeah. a degree. Right. But I, I like that path to kicking a guy in the rear end, and Ozzy, even it's a, if it's a guy who's a veteran who's older than you, Ozzy is just as impactful as anybody else, and if he needs to kick somebody in the rear end, he will. Ozzy wants to win. Mm-hmm. Sure he does. And so there's there's zero – I take – me personally, I take zero issue – with Ozzy getting on anyone, Ozzy wants to win, and he's out there playing hard, and he's hustling. And when maybe he doesn't see someone that he feels like is doing the same, he's going to call him out. Accountability. Yep. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Um, I mean, there was, like you said, Ben, there was a little bit of truth to it, but he was having fun with it at the same time, and I'm glad for the attention it got. Mm-hmm. This question is from Matthew in Houston, Texas. You guys have kind of addressed Michael Harris, so I'll skip that part. But the second question is, how does the mood on the charter flight feel after a series win compared to a series loss? Is there a significant difference? I'd say yes. I'd say it's a little more subdued uh, after a series loss. Uh, It wasn't all that much fun and games leaving Texas to go to New York uh, because everybody knows the Rangers are – not a real good team right now but there was some fun and excitement coming home from new york because of um, the split winning that game against the mets and coming home with a split it was uh, much better it was I, I feel like when you're on those flights after you win there's just a sense of invincibility where you could have the worst turbulence in the world and i don't think anybody really care mm-hmm. you feel great about that flight you're going home you just took a series or, or had a winning road trip and it's a great feeling um, this is from uh, 
is from Paul and Macon. Uh, I love that story Joe told about Don being custodian of the culture, taking care of rookies, showing new people the ropes. I love a good reminder that kindness and uh, and kindness is encouraged and appreciated no matter uh, one station in life. Who are some along the way? Who are some others along the way who deserve a shout out for their kindness? in your experience in the Braves organization or prior to that? Appreciate the uh, email, Paul. It's a good question. Um, since I'm the oldest and been around the longest to see guys like this, I'll, I'll start. Um, Bill Russell, the shortstop for the Dodgers, was that guy for me. Uh, he's the one that took me around, showed me the so-called ropes, and I never paid for a thing. I think that came across in our broadcast too, but – uh, that was part of it. You know, you went on the road, you didn't pay for anything, and uh, you, you pay that forward also when you become that veteran player and take care of things. Uh, for the Braves, um, I'll, I'll start with our broadcast partners, Skip, Pete, Don. They, they did the same thing when I first got here. They were the guys that were uh, the, the cultural leaders, if you will, and – hardly ever i mean i had to sneak up to the mater d and and pick up the check up there before they could get it uh <laughs> otherwise they were always doing that and uh all three of them paid homage to ernie yeah all of them uh i, I one time said to skip i said now uh here for the play-by-play story is the voice of the braves skip Carey, and skip quickly corrected me he didn't reprimand me. He just said, Joe, I'll just tell you the same thing Ernie told me one time when I said those very same words. He said, Skip, we're all the voices of the Braves. That's cool. And that, that still carries on today, I think. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. And, uh, you know, whatever was was passed down to, to you and Don, I feel like you and Don, for J. Chad and me, have been those guys because you learned so much from them, and we've learned so much from the two of you. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll follow up on that. And, you know, Don was always that way. But I, I've told Joe this, so it's not a surprise. Um, even before Joe came over to the radio side, I learned a lot from just watching Joe. If it's, you know, how to conduct yourself on the team plane or how to look and, you know, different things like that. And Joe has been extremely generous to us for a long, long period of time and has always taken care of us. So it was done for a long period of of time. But for me personally, the one guy has always been Joe. Yeah, definitely. And, and I hope that one day, a long, long time from now, we get to pass that on to somebody else. I hope you do. I hope you remember those things. Uh, if he's asking... Uh, about um, Paul, if he was asking about players, I, I don't know that we can really honestly um, say, well, Chipper was that guy or Dale Murphy was that guy because we we don't go to dinner with those guys that uh-huh. much. We don't we, we can see how they are the leaders by example. You know, they're not the pom-pom guys and they're not jumping up and down the dugout. But Murph was like that. Chipper was like that. Terry Pendleton was like that before Chipper. And then, of course, after that were, uh, was Freddie. So yeah. Nick Marcakis had that role, too. Uh, I would throw all those guys in the same boat. Jay Chad, step in there and fire one off. Okay, this question comes from Jill, and she asks, is Paul Bird as hyper and weird as he seems on TV? <laughs> Hyper, no, yeah. No, weird, no. yeah. No, uh, 
more. <laughs> no, that's just a that's just an inkling. Yeah, he's he's unique, man. He's something else. Birdie's a beaut, and uh, he is hyper and he is weird, but in the right kind of ways. Absolutely. I'm so glad that uh, we get to see him and interact with him as much as we do. He loves the game. Uh, he loves broadcasting. He wants to do well, and it's as if he is on the mound um, for three hours every night. Mm-hmm. One thing I like about Birdie, too, while we're talking about it, he told me a few years ago the reason he enjoys doing what he does now since he's no longer a player, his passion is teaching, and he feels like uh, if, if he can do something on the broadcast each night to teach someone uh, something that maybe they didn't know, he feels like he succeeded. I think that's a, a great uh, description of Paul mm-hmm. in that way because he wants to, if he has time on a broadcast, he wants to go into detail about how something is working. Yeah, I know that in the off season, when we start getting ready to, to start another season, we all miss the game and you're ready for the for the game to come back. But we miss the individuals, we miss the people. We get to see each other every single day, and then you go to the off season, we never see each other. And I like having different individuals around. I think that's what I miss the most about Paul when we're in the off season. And I think about being around you guys again. I, I think about the people, the individuals, and uh, I mean, we have all sorts of different folks engaged in what we do every single day, and it's fun to be around all of them. This is from Rob. I don't know what town you're from rob not that that matters but he says on the upcoming road trip you guys have a day off in miami Woohoo! when presented with an off day in a city like that what's typically on the agenda we stay uh at a hotel on the beach rob and so naturally on an off day i mean guys are going to sleep in and then they're going to well jay chad will have his speedo on out on the <laughs> beach yes and getting some ray tones uh ben will get up earlier than the other two or the other guys because he wants to work out and go out with um gun showing with his uh sleeveless t-shirt on on the beach or right. around by the pool but that's how the day starts and then there's always dinner yeah well it's funny that he asked about the upcoming off day in miami we have an upcoming off day. I shouldn't say upcoming, but we have an off day later in the year in St. Louis. Those will be two very different days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. St. Louis, you just all right. Is it time to go play ball yet? Yeah. Miami, it's let's let's squeeze everything of, of everything we can into this day. That's well, exactly right. As far as the upcoming off day in Miami um, next week, there's a rumor that Mr. Francoeur may be chartering a boat. Wow. So maybe boat and a little dinner. Definitely dinner. That's Sounds perfect. great. Uh, dinner's definitely on the agenda. We mm-hmm. know that. Ben, you got one? Yeah, this is from Pat in uh, Melbourne, Florida. He's got two questions. And Pat says, hey, fellas, I've loved every episode of the podcast. A couple questions for you. For Ben and, and Mr. Simpson, excluding Braves broadcasters, if you could call a game with someone past or present, who would it be? It could be one or two people if you can't decide. And then he says, for everyone, with the Brewers coming in this weekend, do you have any awesome Bob Uecker stories? Uh, when I'm not listening to you guys, I find myself looking for a Brewers game just to listen to them. Looking forward to hearing your responses. Go Braves. Uh, I'm the same way, Pat. I, I think Bob Uecker is just a, an American treasure. Um, he's one of the funniest people I've ever been around in my life. And he, can, and he usually calls me Joey, and he just kind of throws his head in the air. Hello, Joey. And, and I laugh. It doesn't have to be much, but there are stories that I can't tell you yeah. that are just awesome. Uh, if I had to pick a couple of guys, I'd want to pick a couple. Um, 
probably like Red Barber. Man, that's right up my alley. Red Barber and um, and maybe um, maybe Jack Buck. Although I, I've got too many here in my head swimming around mm-hmm. with their hands in the air. Yeah. How about yeah. me? How about me? Yeah. Um, because Harry Carey, Red Barber, Vin Scully, yeah, et cetera. But I don't know. Red Barber comes to mind right away. He was the first guy who came to mind for me. And, and for a couple of reasons. Number one, he, he was born in Mississippi, so I'd want to talk to him about that. I know he grew up in Florida, but I think he was in Mississippi until he was about 12 or 13. But anytime you would hear Ernie Harwell, Vin Scully, other broadcasters, they learned so many things from him. And he was always one to give really good instruction. He was very passionate about broadcasting and broadcasting the right way. And those guys always credit Red Barber with what they learned from him. So I don't want to just to be around him and learn from him. Uh, and hear him call a game because I've, I've heard Scully and, and Harwell both talk about what they learned from from Ben from uh, Red Barber. You mentioned Ernie Harwell, and thank you for bringing him up. He'd be number two, yeah, um, because you talk about a Southern gentleman in every way, always kind, um, always willing to offer any advice if you ha- if you ask questions, very friendly, and just what a voice! Yeah, my goodness, yeah. While I'm not calling the game, a guy that's still working that I think would be a ton of fun to work with because I so enjoy his calls and big moments because he goes absolutely crazy and it's so good is Tom Hamilton in Cleveland. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. He has tremendous calls. He's he's so into everything that's going on. And every time I'm watching Quick Pitch on MLB Network or I happen to maybe be driving down the road and hear the Indians on, I want to listen to him because I think he's tremendous. Yeah, yeah if you can catch him on Sirius XM uh, or on their podcasts or on their um, apps, you ought to try and do it because Tom's brilliant. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw two more in there. Um, huge Mel Allen fan. Always loved his voice. One of my favorite voices. And then I'll, I'll flip it uh, around a little bit. If I were getting to call a football game, I loved Pat Summerall. Mm-hmm. I'd love to, to sit down in a booth and, and call a game with Pat Summerall. Those are some of my all-time favorites. So that's my answer to Pat's question. Really you, good question. You guys are pretty good, too, because we, we all sample a lot of broadcast, radio broadcast, and there's some, quite frankly, that just aren't very good, and they certainly aren't entertaining. And I think – you know, we have a broadcast that's that's good and very entertaining, so you get the best of both worlds. Thanks, Thanks. man. Thanks, buddy. Uh, this question comes from uh, Robert. He said, Robert from Macon here with Milwaukee in town. I can't help but admit that I really like their club from afar. Craig Council is a great manager, and they seem to be an organization like the Braves, Relying on drafting, developing, and making key acquisitions. What teams, if any, do you guys admire from afar for their culture, organization, and play? That's an excellent question. Excellent. Um, I will start, and I will. Uh, I'll go Yankees. Yankees uh, have always had an excellent organization. They had a bit of a tyrant at the top of things in Mr. Steinbrenner, but they won, you know. And the key to that was that all questions, all budgets, everything flowed to him. Right. Not to any committee, not to any corporate-type setup. Uh, They always had top-notch people in the front office. They had great 
coaches in the minor leagues and managers in the minor leagues. So I'll start there, and as you answer, I'll come up with a couple more. Yeah, there's definitely some good answers that you could throw out there. I I admire um, how San Francisco is always a winner. Um, it seems like they've – and it, it is – it was a bit of a head scratcher for me uh, when they went the, rec- the direction that they did after Bochi. Mm-hmm. They've continued to win, um, but when that organization had Bruce Bochi as a manager and they win three straight, and I don't want to take anything away from their current organization because they're winning, and they're, they, but they've always been tough. Um, I've always admired how they went about their business and, and some of the players that they had uh, from an aesthetics perspective, and this team is really really good but you know when you walk into dodger stadium how proud they are of what they've accomplished you see all the cy youngs displayed and all the gold gloves displayed and a wall you walk by all this all the mvps the world series trophies silver sluggers i mean i love how they not only preserve but um display their history for everyone to see i, I think that's tremendous uh, and, and it's why I like what they've done here in Atlanta with Monument Grove. You can see a lot of that. But I think so much of that should be displayed. And you walk in there and you know, man, you you play for this organization, you put this uniform on, you're going to be part of some really good teams and have some big accomplishments. And I've always admired that. The Dodgers are an easy one for me. Uh, their commitment to winning and spending and doing what it takes to be competitive every single year. I hate seeing them. I love beating them. But their commitment to winning every single year is um, is awesome. The other team for me that you guys probably, I don't know if you would mention them or not, but it's amazing for me to see them year after year after year after year be a really good competitive team with zero budget, and that's the race. Yeah. You yep. know, they people right. people don't come to, to their games. It's a it's a great place to work. It's, it's one of my favorite <laughs> stadiums out there. Uh, but they win every single year. Right. And – to be able to do it the way that they do it and uh, not spend like other teams but be competitive year in and year out and usually make the postseason, it's awesome. And the way they develop pitching, they're very good at it. They've got a good system in place. Uh, so the Rays are right in there with the Yankees for me, and I got one more. And it's a team like the Rays who doesn't have uh, a big budget. They don't have a big metropolis to draw from. But uh, just as we're seeing this year, they had high expectations last year. They faltered. They fixed it. And they do a really good job of development, drafting and development, and that's the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they fell off for one year after yeah. winning, I think, three straight divisions. Yeah. And here they are. They're right back again. Exactly. That's one place. I'm I'm kind of excited about the balance schedule next year. We went there in 19, but this is the first time the Braves have been to Minnesota in a long time. But that's – talk about – great stadiums yeah that's that's one. up there yeah sure is and they they treat their people well too uh and, and the people who come in as visiting broadcasters we had a great time when we were up there hi guys it's meredith from marietta love the show here's the question is clubhouse leadership essential for a ball's uh club uh, for ball club success it seems freddie was the leader in the clubhouse until this year who do you feel needs to step up and take the lead or has someone already been doing that Appreciate the phone, the phone call. Appreciate the email, uh, Meredith. I, I think this team has leaders. I think they're still, I think they're still forming. I, I know that Freddie was probably the leader over the last few seasons. I'd say that in years maybe 2015 through 2020, while Freddie was a leader, you had other guys policing the clubhouse. Yeah, it wasn't Freddie? It was probably Nick Markakis. And mm-hmm. uh, if you go back a few more years, maybe you throw in 
I don't know, David Ross or, or Chipper or somebody like that. But while Freddie was the face of the team and ultimately one of the leaders of the team, I think he, I think the Braves did a nice job of putting other people in the clubhouse who could police the clubhouse. And maybe they're still figuring that out right now. I don't know. There are guys, they don't have to be the stars of the team. They don't have to play every day. But they can go a long way toward influencing uh, how your team carries itself, how they act, how, how hard do they play, how soft do they play. And I think of Charlie Culberson immediately. He's a guy who may not play every day, but you felt his influence on the team on the in the dugout and the clubhouse every day. Does there need to be a pitcher who's the leader of the pitchers and a position player Kinda. who's the leader of the position players? Kind of, yeah. It's hard for a pitcher to uh, get on a, an everyday player when yeah. he's only out there every five days as a starter. Um, it needs to be a position player to take care of that group. I remember Chipper telling a story one time where if a position player had an issue with a pitcher, Chipper was the one to go to Smoltz. Yeah. And it's like it was the, it was the, the meeting of, of the two uh, families, you know? The, the two chairmen. Yes, yeah. exactly. They're yeah. getting together to discuss an issue that might be – not that they're two different teams, but I think you'd need co-leaders, one pitcher, one position yeah. player. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best – stories is wasabi technology wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the red Sox and nhl teams like the bruins and vancouver canucks even the liverpool football club is getting in on the wasabi action so why is wasabi the mvp well wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the amazons of the world are charging in fact wasabi is up to 80 percent less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from wasabi's ai enabled intelligent media storage wasabi air to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals data deletion and ransomware wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data wasabi another boston-based championship team this question comes from matthew in arkansas we've heard from matthew a few times in the past it's a really long question so i'm going to skip a lot of it but he talked about having the privilege of listening to pete skip don and joe growing up and how they were some very happy memories for him and then he goes on to say i know the team honored skip and pete by naming the tv and radio booths in their memory but i've never toured the booths at truest can you elaborate on what memories of Pete and Skip have been preserved in the booths? Um, so I'll let you guys talk about what we have in our booth. Well, we have pictures of all of them up on the walls in our booth, and we, we told the story on the air. In 2020, when there were no fans, and we just had the placards in the stadium, of course fans could send their own picture into the team, and they'd produce that into a placard, put it in a seat. They also had former Braves, former players, um, and, and they had former broadcasters, and they had one for, for Don and for Ernie and for Skip and for Pete, and we all have those now, and they're hanging on the wall in our booth, all four of them, on the wall right here behind me. And then we have some other photographs that are framed that are up on the wall that are uh, just various pictures from games of years gone by, and, and I know you're in some of those, Joe, and some really uh, good storytelling pieces for some of those pictures. Yeah, we've got a Skip and Pete bobblehead up there too. Mm-hmm. I love the the photos that Joe brought in framed uh, a couple of years ago. I'm looking at one right now that's Joe, uh, Pete, 
uh, Don and Skip, and there's some some others in the back. Uh, and then we also have a bat rack, and a lot of former players have been nice enough to give us one of their bats that they used at some point in their career. And uh, we have those hanging up with a lot more spots, so we need to get some more bats. That's funny. I think we got more pitchers' bats up there than we do hitters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't need them. No, they didn't. Uh, I got one here uh, from Deborah. I was laughing hysterically when y'all were talking about Joe stealing J. Chad's dinner on the plane. Can you tell that story again? And did everyone wind up eating what they ordered? Thank you, Deborah, for that reminder. Uh, quickly, the details on that. I had ordered sea bass. I mean, we eat pretty well on this charter, uh, nine times out of ten. So we had options, and I ordered sea bass. They give you a menu. Yeah, and I and that's what I wanted. And we had a new flight attendant, and he put the tray in front of me, put the food down, and on that tray was a filet and cauliflower, cauliflower, and something else. And I started before he and he reached, pulled his arm back, and then he went, "Oh wait!" And I said, "Oh wait, what is this?" And he said, "Well, it's cauliflower." And I said, "Oh, I, I like that." And he goes, "Yeah, but that's not yours. I, I gave it to the wrong person." I said. Yeah, but I'd rather have this than what I ordered. And he said, oh, well, the man sitting in front of me, in the row in front of me, was Jonathan Chadwick. And his head snapped around, and he's looking between the seats to see if it was his food. And sure enough, it was. And um, well, I don't know. I, I, got, I got the filet, and I don't know <laughs> if Jonathan ever even got to eat that night, and I don't care. <laughs> I did get to eat. Uh, I had to wait another probably 10 minutes for the food to come out. It's funny. Things like that happen when you're so hungry and your food's about to come. And uh, I'm just really shocked and surprised that that wasn't the last filet on the, on the yeah, plane. That would have been so par for his course. Classic. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. Uh, this is from Darren in Livingston, Tennessee, and it's story time now because I've, I've always wanted to hear some more details on this. Could Joe go over the pine tar incident? I think George really would have hit the ump if he could have reached him. Does Joe agree? Also, the Don stories are the best. I appreciate you all sharing. I hope his family is aware of how many people he touched. Thanks, Darren in Livingston, Tennessee. You were there to hold back George Brett for the pine tar incident. Yeah, it was quite a day. It's quite a f- several minutes there that were kind of scary. I don't think George was ever going to hit the umpire, but he was definitely going to, and he did chest bump Tim McClellan, who was a virtually a rookie umpire in those days. Tim McClellan, six seven. George didn't care. Um, I don't think he was going to punch him. He just was not going to let up on his rant getting in their face. So all those guys loved George. They really loved him, Joe Brinkman included, who had his arm around George's throat from behind trying to hold him back because they didn't want him to get in any more trouble. Right. They didn't want him to do something that would cause a suspension or something like that. That's how much they liked George and knew this was very, not so much out of character, but just a real rare occurrence. Um, when the bat boy had the bat taken from him, by the Yankees and then presented to the umpire that's you know that's when it all started and Billy Martin and his little Benny Rooster strut coming out and pointing at the bat and they waited it, it they it, they were ready locked and loaded waiting uh-huh. for him to do something good to call him on it so he hits the home run off Goose Gossage and that was a perfect time to do it well 
in the meantime, when the argument's going on, somebody grabbed the bat, and it looked like a relay race going to our dugout, and Gaylord Perry wound up with it. Somebody grabbed it, and there was a narrow tunnel that went up a ramp from the dugout to the clubhouse, and somebody just whistled that bat up the tunnel, and Gaylord was right behind it, and he grabbed it and took it to our clubhouse, and they had to come looking for it after the game. Really? Uh, yeah, to confiscate it, to send it to the league or whatever they're going to do with it. They didn't want it to disappear. Uh, that was part of it. Um, what else about that day? Well, George, right before they had called him out, he had said to Frank White or John Wathen, I can't remember who he was sitting next to, he said, if they call me out for an illegal bat, I'm going to go nuts. So he said this before. I mean, he knew. Oh, he knew what they were talking about. Yeah. And he was ready for bear. And when that happened, it was like, look out, here he comes. And he just, like a rocket came he out was. of the dugout. Uh, we did an interview uh, a week later. We were on NBC Game of the Week. Garrett, Joe Garagiola was in our dugout, in our clubhouse, and they wanted to do an interview with George about it. And Joe said, Joe Garagiola says, I, I don't know what to ask you anymore. Everybody's asked you about it. I don't know what to do. And I'm lockering next to George. He goes, let Joe do the interview. So I guess that was the start of my career. <laughs> and Garagiola's like, nah, I don't think that's a good idea. But I wound up doing it on the steps of the dugout. And I did it tongue-in-cheek like, you know, broadcaster man doing the interview. <laughs> and I said, George, we haven't seen a look on a man's face like that since Charles Manson. How do you, how do you feel about that? Well, that was that's the way that the interview started, and, yeah. and we had fun with it. That's incredible. And, and, of course, it was overturned. Yeah, it was. And hit the home run. You guys went back and finished the game, right? We did. We were we had an off day, and we were going to Baltimore. We had to play a doubleheader uh, the next day, but we landed. This is getting to be probably too long. But um, we landed in Newark. We sat on the plane waiting to see if Steinbrenner was going to open up the field, if we were really going to play. And then they said, okay, get on the bus. Those of you that weren't ejected, get on the bus. So we got on the bus. We went to the ballpark. We sat on the bus. Okay, everybody, we're not sure yet, but come on in. Let's get dressed. So we sat in the clubhouse for another hour waiting. You know, George is filing all kinds of things with the league to prevent the game from being played. He did open the gates, and there were, you know, a couple of hundred people came in. And then – and then we played. Yeah. And Billy Martin had, I think he had Ron Guidry in center field. He had Mattingly playing second base. It was, you know, like a joke. Yeah. And it wasn't the same umpires. And Martin came out and was protesting the game because of something that happened. The umpires were way ahead of him. Davey Phillips was the crew chief, and he pulls out this big manifest out of his back pocket. And it were they were... Uh, signed, um, vouch not vouchers, signed, certified papers from all the umpires about how many outs, was there anybody on base, who's been in the game, who's been ejected. I mean, it's a long laundry list of things. And Davey Phillips just kind of slapped that paper at Billy and said, now I got it right here. And Billy turned around and walked back to the dugout, and we finished the game. That's great. That's a perfect segue into – Next, this next question from Chip Hendricks, because you're talking about umpires. 
and, and I thought this was a great question. He says, which umpires do you dread seeing behind the plate, and who are some of the ones you look forward to having behind the plate? Really a fitting question for who's going to be behind the plate tomorrow night, isn't it? How timely is that question? <laughs> Got C.B. Buckner behind the plate tomorrow night. Yeah. Tune in, and if you haven't seen him, you'll understand why. Uh, Angel Hernandez is getting a lot of heat uh, for the game he had the other day and how bad it was. But that's not unusual either, and yet he still has a job. The one complaint I've had about bad umpires uh, since I started playing was they never – it's like they've got a job for life. Yeah. They never get reprimanded or sent back to AAA, you know, to get right. more work in and get better. No, they just stay, and they stay, and they continue to be bad. And um, that's that's not all umpires, of course. That's just the few that you want to see. Mm-hmm be fixed yeah and i thought it was kind of bizarre what we saw the other day with dan bellino and madison bumgarner it's it's as if he's trying to show up the player and you're just there to enforce the rules strike ball out safe the, the problem with that with madison was dan bellino instigated that whole thing and yeah. then he threw him out of the game he wanted to throw him out yeah that, that was the whole gist of why he was doing that uh, I don't. I've lost a lot of respect for Bellino as a result. I thought he was a pretty decent umpire, but he had he had an agenda, yeah, and followed through on it. Uh, there are there are some good ones um, still in the game today. We lost a few to retirement and what have you. Uh, the Hirschbeck brothers were outstanding ball and strike umpires. They they both started suffering uh, concussion and neck issues from foul balls mm-hmm. being behind the plate that shortened their career. Steve Palermo. Look him up. If you've never heard the Steve Palermo story, look him up. He was the best umpire in baseball. We had him in the American League and was at dinner with some other umpires after a day game, I think in Dallas. And a woman was being accosted in the parking lot outside the restaurant, and he went to her aid, and Steve was shot. Uh, It didn't kill him, but it severed his um, spinal cord, and he was never able to walk. Uh, without assistance after that it ended his career and that was a shame because he he was the best umpire i ever saw mm-hmm. um guys in the game today that i do like uh i like ted barrett mm-hmm. uh, i like watching him I, I i'm a huge fan of pat Hoberg's strike zone i think in my opinion he's the best behind the plate uh for uh for umpires um a few other guys we just saw somebody tom in, hallion tom hallion is a good one yeah dan Asonia. Dan Isonia is very good. He's from Roswell. Mm-hmm. The day, let's see. Let me look this up. I got this right. Jeff Nelson was pretty horrible last night. Yeah. He's not on that list. No, he's not. Phil Cuzzy. Phil Cuzzy. We had him in a really quick game the other night, and he he had a good night. Uh, I'm trying to remember if he's typically that good, but um i'll give him i'll give him uh good marks mm -hmm. and we could we go through a long laundry list but i think we've mentioned some of the good ones and there's there's some good ones out there that we haven't mentioned too but we definitely know who the two Mm -hmm. two of the worst are and why and why they still are working we don't know and i'll I'll give it to uh mike Muchlinski. he was behind the plate when the braves won the world series yeah i I think going into that night i don't know that i thought quite as highly and now Great job, Mike. Yes. <laughs> well done. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, who's behind the plate tonight? Uh, tonight. Manny Gonzalez. He's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, Manny is pretty good. We'll get to see him uh, this evening. I think we have time for one more, and I think we know which one it has to be. Maybe this uh, this one from Ted. 
Lay it on us. I don't know you. I know you guys don't work on TV, but I was curious if you know why Chip wears really weird, loud sports coats. Oh, that's from Ted. <laughs> Who wants to start on that one? I'll start. Uh, I don't know why he does it. It's his thing. He has a lot of very loud and flashy sport coats and pocket squares and. Um, I'd say you should see his shoes. Yeah, the shoes are horrible. Uh, but the sport coats is kind of like his thing. Um, some of them I like, some of them I don't like. But it's just it's it's just what he does. Chips, chip, and I like an original. But he'll he'll come in here with velvet slippers with skulls stitched into the yes. the end of them. Like, yeah. where in the heck did you find that? And socks. He he gets socks. I I I don't know where you buy socks like that. <laughs> um, he had on a beautiful navy blue sport coat last night velvet i yeah, think like crushed velvet crushed velvet it was beautiful and he had a great shirt on and pocket square that all went together but then on the plane home from new york he had on a sport coat that didn't even cover up his back pockets in his pants <laughs> it's like he stole it from his from tristan his 11 year old right. and borrowed it for the trip i was like buddy you know in, invite your coat down here um we had we love the it's not trendy it's not even trendy it it's wild and we love it because we never know what we're going to see next yeah, some of the stuff he wears i feel like all he's missing is one of those long skinny gene rayburn microphones like yes. he's hosting a game show in the oh, 70s that's a good point and if you go back in history among broadcasters there were some guys that dressed wild lindsey nelson craig sager craig craig sager um my buddy in in um seattle uh, Dave Niehaus, he once wore a sport coat, and Bill Mazeroski said, somewhere there's a horse at Long Acres, the racetrack in Seattle, somewhere there's a horse at Long Acres going cold because <laughs> 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 of Dave's sport coat. Yeah. Uh, how, uh, Harry Callis's white shoes that he always wore. You know, they're, they're on display somewhere in Philadelphia. It's in the press right box. Right when you yeah. get off the elevator in the press box to the right, they're right there. It's yeah. like disco shoes. I think yeah. we need some of those. Well, yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. <laughs> well, I think we're out of time. I know we got to do uh, the SNIT report here in about 10 minutes. We'll go ahead and wrap this up wonderful questions as always it is so great to hear from all of you and even if you don't email us we appreciate you tuning in feel free to like or subscribe uh to our podcast and uh, you can get us wherever you get your podcasts and we look forward to doing this again next week in the meantime we appreciate you being out there for jay chad and for joe i'm ben and you have been inside the braves booth